Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. Boom, fist pump already. Yeah. Did we already start? We did. Wow. We okay. started. You guys were let's, typing, let's and let's I get, talk. Yeah, we were just researching. Okay. Because I talk and I don't type. <laughs> My name is Josh Norris here with John Daigle and Ian Harditz to wrap up week five to look ahead to week six. Gentlemen, how are you on this lovely Monday mid afternoon? I'm doing great. We finally got fall weather. We had that weird summer day like last week, a lot of rain, but now hoodie season. For those that don't watch the video, like y'all already have it played out correctly. You're wearing sweaters. It's so easy to just throw it on and get out. It's I'm still in button up here, yeah. Um, I'm the one doing this wrong. So let's look through the weekend in a prism with football not existing. Tell me something about your weekend, John Daigle, that stood out. How'd you come to me first? Um, go to Ian first. I don't know what I do besides football during the season. And new Israel Adesanya, 185-pound champ, UFC, awesome fighter. Oh, well, if that's the case, then yeah, last night, like the fact Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, didn't win the title was the most insane decision since Roman won the Royal Rumble in Philly. Disgraceful. The only sport we talk about outside of this is Aston Villa winning 5-1. This is not where I wanted this to go. Um, okay, so let's just then just move ahead to the show. Today. We have no lives. Today's schedule, we will hit on stories, narratives, trends from the weekend that we want a really just a little more time to talk about. Ones that maybe came to us overnight. I'll get to mine later on. Uh, and then to end this episode, we have John Daigle's skimming the surface look at the waiver wire. The full column is up on Tuesday morning. A little better this week. Just a bit, okay. but a little bit of hope this week. But we start with the big news, and that is Jay Gruden being fired by the Washington Redskins as the head coach after his tenure of a 35-49 and one record over five-plus seasons. He only brought the Redskins to one playoff appearance. It was a wild-card loss to the Packers in 2015. He's actually being replaced by Bill Callahan. That name might come to mind because I believe he was the head coach at Nebraska. He also was the one who took over... Uh, for John Gruden. When John Gruden went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, he faced off against Bill Callahan uh, as the Oakland Raiders head coach. So, gentlemen, we know it's a lost season completely for the Washington Redskins. My question to you is this, why, why make this move now? I don't know. I think he could have made the move before the season, honestly, because what evidence do we have of Gruden really being this awesome offensive mind when Sean McVay is in there? Because that was his OC in the beginning years, and I know maybe their roster stacked up a little better back then, but look, Washington ranked 
10th in 2014 in yards per play, 10th again, then 2nd in 2016. Sean McVay left. Since then, they've been 15th, 28th, and 29th in yards per play. You know, I feel like Jay gets to benefit of the doubt sometimes for how successful they were early in his tenure, but a lot of that, I think, was just McVay high play action percentage making mm -hmm. Kirk Cousins look that good. And a little bit of it was Pierre Garçon, Deshaun ja Jackson left the same time that McVay did, so I think we wondered if that personnel had something to do with it, but... I don't know. I, I think it was a move that probably could have been made before, honestly. Do we see any improvement here for the Redskins this year, Daigle? No, absolutely not. Uh, interim, how, name slips on mine, Bruce Allen? What's the name term, coach? No, that's Bill Callahan. Bill Callahan, sorry. Bruce Allen is like team president. And like I said, it literally slipped my mind. As we showed up on a podcast, like totally like researching at the time. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I, no, the simple answer is no. I didn't even tweet about it this morning because I just thought, yeah, it's the Redskins. Like, this is... A constant. It's a treadmill. It's not anything that improves. They run in place, and they continue running in place for 20 miles on end, and they just keep on running in place. It's it's nothing shocking, even. It's Wow, they did the wrong thing. Go figure. I know you've been doing this for five weeks. Something you learn as you go along mm -hmm. is to be able to recover when you don't listen to the other person, because I can tell you weren't <laughs> listening to I, me. I was, I was trying to look up something. I was listening, though, yes. Okay, uh, you two. What, what if, though? If they can't develop Haskins even a little bit, that's yeah. got to be seen as a failure. Like, that should be the number one goal the rest well, of the season. Well, the issue with Dwayne Haskins and the Jay Gruden combination here was that Jay Gruden seemingly didn't even want Dwayne Haskins. And this was an, a push from ownership because Dwayne Haskins is from that area, and they were locked in on him. And so maybe this is an improvement for Dwayne Haskins. My big question here is this. Is this just the Redskins, you know, wishing that they had gone with Sean McVay and not let him out of the building and not stuff with Jay Gruden at the time? Because Jos Josina Anderson, uh, no, excuse me, I think it was Albert Breer reported today that Kevin O'Connell is a name to watch for a full-time job in Washington, and he's been compared to Sean McVay. And Kevin O'Connell, as we know, is the former pick of the Patriots at quarterback and maybe this young mind that they just want someone to inject some energy into that. But I don't know how you can keep anyone from the staff if they don't make it to the playoffs. What, like the next coach, what is he even being gifted? Uh, Nothing. Yeah, McLaurin. <laughs> and right now we're just hoping McLaurin production could sustain, which would entail him doing everything on his own. Uh, the fact he even had 51 receiving yards against the Patriots with Colt McCoy under center is a testament to his talent. Like, that's a big deal. But other than that, there's genuinely nothing. And Callahan talked about coming out and quote-unquote establishing the run as every old coach does in the league. <laughs> and uh, perhaps that works against Miami, the Super Bowl this week, Miami and Redskins. Oh. But after that, like, no, it's going to be the same offensive approach again and again. It's really a team that doesn't matter. And I don't know how you go into a year with a wasted season where you know you're going to not have John Gruden after this year. As one of 32 teams, running your organization in that manner is awful. But it starts at the top. And this is one of those teams that bad teams stay bad. And yep. this team is just going to stay bad with the ownership, with the decision makers that are currently in place, and you can't fix that. You can't fix that in the season. Knicks or Redskins? Which one's been? I don't know worse? anything about the New York Knicks. Okay, well it's close. It's very close. All right. There are people arguing at home right now, like yelling, "No, we are worse." I know nothing. Okay. I'm, I'm just very honest about the New York Knicks. <laughs> okay, let's go into some of the topics that we want to spin forward from the weekend. Uh, this actually comes from Ian. Ian, you want to talk about the? two years of quarterbacks over the last couple drafts and how they're playing so far and really which ones we might want to start our teams with. Yeah, I want to look back at these first-round quarterbacks for the last two years. We've had a bunch of them. We've had Baker, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Lamar Jackson, Kyler, Danny Dimes, and Dwayne Haskins. And really, Haskins is the only one we have not seen 
play a decent amount on the field. So, you know, a lot of these guys have stands around the league. So I'm curious who you guys want to start a franchise with if you could only pick one of these first-round quarterbacks from the last two drafts. I think in the first two weeks of the season, I would have said Lamar Jackson. And then... Shying away now? I, I am. I am. Oh, okay. I, I am not going to say that we overvalued his passing performance or progression so far this season, but it certainly isn't as sticky as mm-hmm. we thought it was going to be week in and week out. It would be difficult for me to move away from either Baker or Sam Darnold, but I would listen. I would listen to an argument that Gardner Minshew is maybe the most exciting rookie quarterback out there, even more than Kyler Murray as the number one overall pick. So I saw a friend of the show, Evan Silva, mention this, and he said the biggest difference in Gardner Minshew compared to other quarterbacks is that Minshew knows his limitations, and he doesn't go beyond that box. Like, he knows his strengths, and he continues attacking his strengths, which is is true, and it's amazing. Uh, Having said that, I don't worry about the first four weeks of Baker Mayfield. Like, that's still the guy I am 100% rolling back and with a better offensive line who knows if he'd be so tainted four weeks in I'm going Lamar and I think you're on the right because look I understand his passing is never going to be like Tom Brady-esque hit your foot in the ground get it out in rhythm all the time it doesn't matter though the guy's still been the most efficient quarterback from this group he's averaging more adjusted yards per attempt than Baker to this point not saying you know we've seen Baker's ceiling in the second half of last season like his best has been better than Lamar's best I think at this point but that's just passing he is on a completely different stratosphere than any of these guys as a rusher I mean the the second coming of Mike Vick comments that a lot of people were making him coming out I think we've seen that more or less come Mm -hmm. true I mean the this guy's moving at a different speed yeah. than everyone else. So just having that under center, you know, in this theoretical game we're playing where if you're starting a franchise, I think Lamar, even though you do need to create a scheme around him, like he gives you the highest floor of an offense, I think, if you just don't have a good offensive line, if you don't have a good weapons. Because remember, he's doing all this without the benefit of a team that has a real high payroll because they're paying a rookie quarterback. The Ravens are still paying Joe Flacco to be their franchise quarterback right now. I, there's an obvious argument for at least four of these names. I even threw Minshew's name in there. I would not throw Haskins in there. I, I think Josh, I, I, look, I enjoy watching Josh Allen. I will not go down that street once again. Maybe after a few drinks, we could talk about Josh <laughs> Allen. But if, if you get your choice of all of them, I don't think his roller coaster type performance is really one you want to hit your wagon to. Uh, Kyler is just on a bad team. And he, right now, I'm not even going to say Cliff Kingsbury is not a good coach. So. And Kyler is starting to find areas and moments where he can show you that electricity, where he can show you that type of world-class play at the position that others cannot do. And that is more difficult, again, on a bad team. But we're starting to see the, the flashes of it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we move on as the season goes along and say, oh, yeah, that's why Kyler is the number one pick. That's why he can be a top five quarterback in this And remember, our most recent memory of Sam Darnold is just mono-induced performance. Right. Whereas last year over the second half of the season when he came back from injury, oh, oh, amazing. Playmaking outside of the pocket, just uh, to make everything happen on the fly as he did was incredible. I'm not sure how to transition out of this topic, so let's just do a really do unprofessional. hard <laughs> transition. Uh, Melvin Gordon returned this past weekend. Uh, the Broncos actually defeated the Los Angeles Chargers. Dago, I want to point to you on this one. Um, I know you want to talk about the usage of Melvin Gordon um, Both. In, in his return with Austin Eckler, who has been performing like Austin Eckler as one of the best backs in the league. 
The Monday pod is the hashtag big picture pod. But I think this is a big picture scenario for a lot of fantasy owners because a lot of people have been dealt either both of these cards or at least one of them and don't know what to do. Yesterday we saw their first usage together in 2019 and it entailed Eckler getting the more important targets. Uh, 17 <laughs> targets to be exact, 16 catches, but Melvin Gordon got 12 of 15 carries and 100% of the team's carries inside the red zone and inside the 10, which was two. So what do you do? Uh, Eckler finished as an RB7 on the week with San Francisco and Cleveland still pending. Um, Eckler's the more valuable of the two, but basically what we have, what I think is, what, two RB2s the rest of the way? Hmm. Can you start these? And remember, we talked about this on the Sunday show, that we knew the offense was going to run through or have to run through Mike Williams and Eckler. So when Keenan Allen, the league's leader, the entire NFL leader in target share, comes back and is not draped by Chris Harris the entire game, what happens to Eckler's targets then? My concern is, do we even know this is how they're going to be utilized? Because... This is a Chargers team that was down 17 to nothing at halftime. Mm -hmm. And so this is not a neutral game script at all. Right. This is not the type of game plan that the Chargers wanted to even put on paper. So it might even be dangerous to read into this usage at all because this is certainly not the style of play that the Chargers wanted offensively. Yeah, if anything, I think we're going to see Eckler decrease, which obviously is not going to get 16 targets every single week. But even half that number is fine for a somewhat consistent RB2 production because – Melvin Gordon's going to get his. We saw him operating more of a 70% snap clip last season. That was only 46% in this first game back. But the guy still had 12 rushes and six targets. I yeah. mean, first game back, truly, where he, I know he was back last week, but they didn't even play him. First game back to have 18 opportunities. I mean, he only averaged 20 opportunities per game last year. So they've never really just made Melvin this three-down workhorse, workhorse. Eckler's always been involved, and we have seen them increase that now just specifically in the passing game where he's best. In weeks one through four, Eckler played 18 total snaps in the slaughter out wide. That number jumped to 13 in week five alone. So they do have uh, enough complementary styles, I think, in their games to be on the field at the same time. And as long as they stay banged up at receiver and tight end, I think we'll see more of that. And it was 18 opportunities on 40% of snaps in negative game script. And positive, like one score opportunities, uh, I would imagine now that Gordon probably goes 60-40, right? If we're talking just competitive hmm. the entire way? Hmm. I have no idea, and I'm going to stick by saying I have no idea. All right, well, let's rapid-fire this really quick then. You're trading for Gordon or Eckler? I think Eckler because his value is probably lower. Eckler. Okay, fair. I, I'm Eckler as well. I will say I think it's going to be like 60-50 because we're actually seeing Eckler on the field at the same time as him, so just mm -hmm. a little something to think about. Okay. This is a thought I had last night. And I don't know what this you is. all are allowed to tell me it doesn't make any sense at all because I don't even know if I'm going to formulate it in a way that makes sense to the listeners out there and the Let's viewers out there. Um, you know, so much, and I'm super guilty of this, we spend a lot of time, words, texts, on, hey, this defense is missing this player so the offense can attack it this way or the offense is missing this player so the defense is going to get pressure along the offensive line. But looking at it, and it really came to me when watching this Jaguars and Panthers team, right? Because the Panthers were down two offensive linemen. So, oh, we thought, hey, maybe the Jaguars can get more pressure. Mm -hmm. That'll bottle up the Panthers' offense. Same thing goes for the Panthers' defense versus the Jaguars. And both defenses had really important plays and big plays in this one. But when you look at the end, Panthers' offense still put up a boatload of points and a boatload of production. The Jaguars' offense still put up a boatload of points and a boatload of production. It gets me to thinking that... Should we really care about 
the vast majority of defenses in the NFL. From one, a, a talking angle perspective, but two, our fantasy players going up against the opposition. I think that there are only three defenses that we should really take a step back and say, hey, maybe I should consider not starting these players against them. And that's the Patriots defense, the Bills defense, and the Bears defense. And other than that, I think you're safe if they're in a good offense. I'm not talking Washington Redskins here. I'm talking about a good offense to put them in no matter who they're playing. I wouldn't even put the Bears in that category. Uh, wow. I'm not, like, I'm not too John scared. Gruden changed your mind immediately No, no, It's not that. It's just that we know that defenses aren't sticky from year to year. Like defensive scoring is easily the most volatile stat when it comes to defensive categories. So uh, I'm, not, I'm not really fear any defense. The Patriots and Bills this year are – certainly ones to avoid, but the Bears are not in that category for me. I think the Bears, part of the problem yesterday and these last few weeks, I mean, they've, they've been banged up. Akeem Hicks left the game real yep. quick. He's a true difference maker. Roquan Smith was back this last week, but obviously he's kind of had his problems off the field at this point. So I do think the Bears are still there. And these defenses that are so good, I think year after year, you see a level of continuity throughout the entire unit. And the Patriots have that. The Bills have that. Another team that has that is the Vikings. And even this year where, I don't know, maybe, maybe people, I guess, don't think of them as this elite defense. But in their two losses, they gave up 21 points to the Packers and 16 mm-hmm. points to the Bears. Like, they easily win both those games if Cousins plays a little better. So... I do think, I mean, there are certain defenses that we see a home field advantage year after year. And I think Buffalo, Minnesota, and Chicago are three of those defenses. Could probably throw the Chiefs in there, but they're just so kind of mediocre uh, everywhere else. So I do agree in general we overrate defenses, but to say that they don't really matter, I think. I, no, I, I, didn't I, I know say you that. didn't. I know no, you and, didn't. And, and, and I, I want to ma- make that point clear because, one, I'm going to talk about defensive matchups throughout the season. Right. So I don't want to prohibit myself from doing that. But they do matter. And. They matter to the point, though, where it's different because defenses, there are a number that have quality talent on that side of the ball that now it seems like winning football can be, hey, you try to keep up with our offense, and then the third quarter or the fourth quarter, our defense needs to make one or two big plays to change the scope and the momentum or however you want to say it of that game. And, like, the Rams fit in there, the Packers, the Vikings can do that, the Saints, the Titans, the Panthers defense, the Jaguars that Jalen Ramsey plays. Like, these are very talented defense. But I just see it all the time. Again, the Jaguars are a very talented defense, but they just are a sieve for yards at times. Mm-hmm. They're a sieve for points. And so we spend so much time and effort thinking, oh, this guy versus this guy. If it's a good offense that is well orchestrated and well constructed, they're going to get their points and yards no matter what. And it's just that's why we dissect these uh, individually, right? Like we go cornerbacks missing or offensive linemen missing, so the defensive line should have. Like that's why we go position by position here because we know not all of it matters. We're trying to figure out the puzzle pieces that do matter and then piece that together. Yeah, I th- and there's a lot of smart people that do just think that. I don't even think they necessarily believe that defenses, quote unquote, don't matter. It's more. Can we assess them well enough and the game plans well enough? It's more enough that they believe it's just overvalued. Yeah, exactly. The, so the thought process of it. And so, so putting in a yeah. nice little pretty package of don't matter is easy. For example, yes. yesterday I more or less faded DJ Chark because I was afraid of the James Bradbury matchup. Right. Well, you know, most of Chark's yards and touchdowns didn't come on Bradbury. So to that extent, was I right a little bit? But, you know, you also got to realize that in these wide receiver cornerback matchups, it's not a 100% snap thing anyway. So yeah. you, you got to use it, but, you know, just know, the, know how to play. You're playing probabilities, but that's just life. You're trying to 
factor and probabilities anyhow. And I know that this post after the Monday night game, but I do want to throw in the 49ers as a possibility yes, of that this a, year. I had them as a maybe. Um, we don't know, and maybe Monday night football swings at one direction, but we just don't know where that is right now. This is going to come. And the Browns could too. The Browns have yeah. a ton of talent as well. I'm, this is going to come back to bite me, but I'm, I'm still concerned about the Cleveland offense. Well, let's just not say anything. You don't have to say anything because this just posts after Monday Night Football. You don't have to throw a prediction okay, out fine. there. It's not uh, a prediction. I'm just I'm worried. Speaking of John Daigle's predictions, let's now move over to the waiver section of this podcast. Again, your waiver wire column posts every Tuesday morning. I know you want to start off this one with Auden Tate, who has stepped in for the injured John Ross against the Arizona Cardinals. Six targets, three receptions, 26 yards, and a touchdown, and he faces the Baltimore Ravens next. I don't know if I want to start off with Auden Tate, but we're going to start that off with That was the order Auden you Tate. sent me. Uh, John Ross, obviously out for probably four to six weeks. Auden Tate, in his first game without John Ross, played 100% of the Bengals' offensive snaps. Uh, yes, Andy Dalton's ADOT was lowered because they have no over-the-top speed. And yes, Tate's six targets were second fiddle by a mile to Tyler Boyd's 14 and 37% target share. But the fact is, he's playing every single snap on an offense that has no choice but to throw, and now they get the Ravens this week. It's it's a plug-and-play wide receiver three, especially considering that we now have four teams on by. So we're trying to all help each other out off the waiver wire right now. I, it's, it is difficult for me to just get super excited about a slow Seventh receiver rounder on a Bengals offense that's attached to Andy Dalton. Well, don't ignore the things he does well. This is a slow six foot five, 230-pound receiver. <laughs> I can ignore them pretty easily. He's big. <laughs> he's got, look, I mean, his touchdown yesterday, nice little, you know, move on a slant inside a 10-yard line. He's more agile, I think, than people give him credit and for. And missed a second one, which was on him. Yeah. I will say, though, I mean, it's not like this is just a one-week example of him being plugged in and playing his high snap rate. I mean, he overtook Damian Willis three weeks ago, and we've seen him get – 10 targets, 6 targets, 6 targets. So I realized last week was the first time he was, you know, full 100% guy. But even before then, he was playing upwards 80 to 90 snaps per week. So I do think, you know, he's not going to offer the same upside as John Ross in that role. But, yeah, he's a a quality plug-and-play. I know that you're trying to help the people out. But if you're starting Alden Tate as a wide receiver three, you're struggle city for your fantasy team. Uh, if you've seen the waiver wire wide receivers, I'm telling you, he's the best available. <laughs> you move. cannot even, I was actually impressed, like, if you go over 50% of Yahoo and ESPN leagues, you can't find a wide receiver that you would want to drop. And I'm not kidding. Wow. Everyone over 50%, the, the people are doing well this year. Nice. Let's go to the tight end position. Gerald Everett against Seattle Seahawks saw 11 targets, 7 receptions, and 136 yards. You know, last year when Cooper Cup went down, I I thought we might have a Gerald Everett breakout because he was actually someone, he was Sean McVay's first selection as head coach. Did you mm-hmm. know that? And he was compared to Jordan Reed coming out of school. And Sean McVay even brought that name up because we know how much McVay loved throwing to Jordan Reed when they were in Washington. Well, McVay wasn't the one throwing the football, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. um, now Gerald Everett is emerging even with a semi-healthy Tyler Higbee, even with Cooper Cup in the lineup. Can we see this production continuing here, which is fantastic? Forever. And you'll look at the graphic if you're watching the video to see his stats recently. Uh, it's odd because he got eight targets, didn't do much when Tyler Higby was out two weeks ago. Tyler Higby comes back, and the Rams still continue their 11 personnel heavily, but Gerald Everett obviously spiked with 11 targets in this one. The difference is, what you don't see on the graphic, is just the routes run behind the scenes. Uh, 23 routes per game the first three weeks. The past two, 37. A huge bump in on-field opportunity. And so, again, 
four weeks. I always prefer to stream tight ends. It's just if you didn't draft your Travis Kelsey or George Kittle in the first few rounds. And uh, Joe Everett, at he gets home golf, which is always a plus against the Niners, so we assume that will be a very efficient offensive performance on both sides. So I like just going right back to Everett this week. And Everett is, like, legit really good. I mean, you mentioned, the, you mentioned the Jordan Reed comp. He's not this Jack Doyle, Jason Witten, like, dad runner type guy. I mean, only two non-running backs this year have broken more than six tackles. Lamar Jackson at 12, Gerald Everett at 11. Great set. I, I know a bunch of them came last week, but truly, this guy is special with the ball in his hands. And I think people have gotten on Sean McVay for continuing to do the same thing week after week, mm -hmm. down after down, drive after drive. And if there's a little sprinkle of new and interesting in this offense this year, it could be Gerald Everett. Yep. Because he's a much different player than Tyler Higbee, who was used as like a tight end slash tackle. And so adding some Gerald Everett in there, and they're doing it more and more as the season goes along, is a cool little wrinkle. Unlike the uh, offense that I now slipped my mind, let's just move on. I can't even remember what I was going to talk about. <laughs> That's how, that's how busy you I saw it in your eyes. You saw the thought process. And I'm going to say. Oh, unlike Kingsbury and the Cardinals offense, I don't worry about the Rams offense progressing. They were going to make changes. Well, yeah, I mean. The Cardinals had... may not make changes. Sure. I mean, you had one that went to the Super Bowl. <laughs> I grabbed you... that thought from the cloud and, and you, I pulled and it you back And you had a guy in. who had a losing record in college football. Uh, speaking of those Cardinals, let's <laughs> now, Cardinals, let's now just... speak highly of one yeah. of their players, I guess. Uh, backup Chase Edmonds at the running back position. Uh, against the Cincinnati Bengals. He had eight carries for 68 yards and a touchdown to go along with three receptions for 18 yards. Was this because of an injured David Johnson? Or was this just because they were finally winning a game? Was this because they were running so many snaps? Why did Chase Edmonds get so many snaps, and can he continue that? So, Cardinals reporter Josh Weinfuss, I hope that's how you pronounce it, uh, I didn't even see this. He didn't even tweet it out until this morning. I had written Chase Edmonds in this format sheet last night. And it's because Chase Edmonds, as you said, eight carries, four targets, both season highs. Part of their progressive offensive play calling as they've moved along the past couple weeks, trying to solve as defense play deep on them, is getting Chase Edmonds integrated with David Johnson. Uh, so that's already an uptick to Chase Edmonds off the wire already. But the fact that this morning it was reported that David Johnson had to fly home early last night because his back locked up, mm. said it's the most pain he's ever been in, and now we don't know what's going to happen in practice as the week continues. And against the Falcons, in the second highest total of the week, uh, Chase Edmonds is legitimately an RB10, like an RB1 you should start immediately if David Johnson's out. And for that reason alone... Sure, you can say that, though, with a lot of handcuffed running backs. I don't, I don't think you can, though. You can say that with Alexander Madison. Oh. You can say okay, that... but you're talking you about can say top that five about handcuffs. Tony Pollard? Tony Pollard. Another top five? Yeah. Keep going, because you're only going to reach five or six. <laughs> Reggie I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> oh, no. my gosh. Actually, you might be right. Bonifon. Uh, Play Curtis Sam over Bonifon. An up-tempo matchup. Terrible defense, Atlanta. Yeah. A defensive-minded head coach who can't call a defense. No, I, I love Chase Edmonds. I love him coming out of yes. school, came out of Fordham. He's a really, really good football player. Uh, I just wonder if we're overvaluing a performance when the Cardinals are actually in control of a game and they might not be in control of many games this season. Yeah, is that I, fair? I don't think you can say that's fair. <laughs> but if it is, ne if they're not in control of this one and they're in negative game against the Falcons, that only helps Chase Edmonds. I guess, but they I throw it to him. Sure. I mean, that gets to the point, though, that like, hey, let's rack up these points for negative game script mm -hmm. versus let's just stick to a highly efficient offense. And the, Cardinal, and the Cardinals really haven't shown a highly efficient offense except against the Bengals. <laughs> right. So what does that mean? But 
going back to our conversation about defenses and ones that maybe there are three that we want to avoid, basically play everyone against the Atlanta Falcons. Everyone. Literally everyone. If he's going to have standalone value again, like it would be this week, yeah. barring a David Johnson injury. I do like I, – I think he's a – Maybe the number two handcuff behind Pollard, though. I'm really not as high on Madison. As I don't get you it. You you were there with me earlier in the season, and now you're off of it. I feel like until I'm seeing the dude get thrown around in pass protection and a mere freaking Abdullah coming you don't in. Don't pass the ball. I'm not making up like Abdullah being involved in this. You just don't want to believe it. Like it's I unfortunate, don't. but he. I'm telling you, man. If Dalvin Cook misses time, we're going to see something like a 50-50 snap split with Madison and Abdullah. We'll shake on. I always thought it was going to be Mike Boone 50-50 split. I, who, maybe it'll when be he 30, gets 30, touches, 30. he still looks great, too. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, Handcuff rankings, waiver wire column tomorrow. <laughs> be there. And if you want more rankings and more content, go and check out our, our season pass. That's rotoworld.com slash win. It's extra content on top of all the free content we put out there for you as well. And go back and listen to the Roundup episode. We covered each and every game on Sunday. The 10 that were in the 1 o'clock window and 2 in the 4 o'clock window. Fix that, NFL. Uh, and all the wraps up, wrap-ups and all the big performances in each one of those. And we'll have two more podcasts this week, Wednesday and Thursday. John Daigle, Ian Harditz, Josh Norris. Talk to you all then. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.